1: No, come,
2: come. We are back, and we are pleased as punch to welcome Trina Robbins back to Talking Comics. Comics historian and creator of the First Order and author of the new Pretty in Ink: North American Women Cartoonist, 1896 to 2013. It just came out from Fantagraphics. Welcome back, Trina. How are you doing tonight?
1: Hi. Thank you for having me again. Um, and I'm fine.
2: Congrats. That's good. Now, oh, by the way, congratulations. We Since we last spoke, you were named to the Eisner Comic Books Hall of Fame, so congratulations on
1: that. Yes, I was, and I'm very proud of that.
2: Who went in in your class, sort of like in the Baseball Hall of Fame? Anyone go in there with you, too?
1: Um, well, um, St. Rodriguez was, was uh, voted into the Hall of Fame, and it was kind of bittersweet because, uh, as you know, St. Died last mm-hmm. year or earlier this year, and Really, it would have been nice if he could have gotten that award while he
2: was still with us. Absolutely. Our, our best to, him to he and his family in in that retrospect. So thank you for bringing that up. That's very important. Mm-hmm. Now, let's jump right into your book here. You have already written From Girls to Girls and Great Women Cartoonists and The Great Women Superheroes. What was the impetus for bringing this updated information out to us in pretty Ink.
1: well actually gary groff said he'd like me to do it so you know when people ask me to do a book i do it
2: <laughs> Sim- simply enough done uh quickly there the are fact
1: was, there was, you know there was much more uh much more information on I me mean, each time i do this and by the way this really is my final and definitive book because how many times can one write a history of women cartoonists but each time i do it there's more information available so there is much more information and i i've got more photos of the women that i write about and i think that's important you know to have their picture you know so we know what they look like when when we find out about them
2: oh sure most of these people i have read in your other books you see the names and occasionally even see some of the artwork, but in this one, there's just scads of rare photos and artwork from the late 19th, early 20th century. How hard was it to get all that stuff assembled?
1: Well, as you know, uh, it's now generally considered, I put in, uh, I included what I consider, or for all I know, is the first comic by a woman, a four-panel comic by Rose O'Neill from 1896, and Everybody generally seems to have considered that that's correct and that's the earliest comic because no one has stood up and said, no, she's wrong, I have one from 1894.
2: Uh, they're cheating if they did. You, you couldn't be wrong on this one. <laughs> now, I had I'd known uh, Ethel Hayes. You have this wonderful Flapper Girl cover. I was aware of her art. And Rose O'Neill, I just barely had heard of, but for those who don't know, she created Cupid Dolls. It was yes. her comic strip that started that, yeah. But she did so much other work that's in here that I was not aware yes. of at all. So tell us a little bit about her. She,
1: was also, she also was a fine artist. Mm-hmm. Um, she did really interesting drawings, uh, kind of kind of mystic drawings. She was very, very good. Had a very art Nouveau style. And in 1920, she went to... Uh, to France, to Paris, where she was hailed as a reincarnation of Leonardo da Vinci, which I think is maybe putting it a little too strong, but she, she really was a very good artist.
2: Oh, absolutely. That's the thing. All those earlier artists are definitely based in that fine art tradition. The line yes. work is just incredible, and yet it all has a lovely, playful quality, too.
1: Because it's comics.
2: There you go. It isn't always though uh, As we uh, Was one person Whose name I knew uh, Nisa McMahon From the Algonquin Round Table, And to discover yes. That she had, she had drawn This fabulous strip Called Deathless Deer Which is about A 3,000 year old Resurrected mummy princess
1: <laughs> Yes It may be one of The most obscure Of the comics In my book um, and it's great. I really love it. I have acquired quite a few, well, not that many, maybe maybe three or four pages of Deathless Deer. And and I really, you know, still don't quite understand why it didn't survive, why it didn't last. Because it's good, and it's exciting, and it's it's just the kind of thing you want to read. Wow, 3,000-year-old mummy princess. Uh, and, Except, of course, she's beautiful.
2: Yeah, well, she would have to be with Mesa drawing her. but I was... Very taken with sort of Alex Raymond, very Flash Gordon-esque, you know, strident adventure, and and yet so obscure. How did it drift into just such obscurity? It was definitely published then, just not much, I suppose.
1: You know, I have no idea how it drifted into obscurity. Um, Bill Blackbeard, I'm sure you're familiar with Bill Blackbeard, who Mm -hmm. was, you know, an expert on comics. Uh, His opinion was that, that it was just too unbelievable. The story was too unbelievable and that so people didn't like it. But that's I mean, saying that that the resurrection of a beautiful Egyptian princess is more unbelievable than say the story of a baby that whose planet explodes and he's sent to Earth is I mean, it's just as unbelievable.
2: Exactly. We'll have have to work on that. Maybe you need to collect some deathless deer into a book the way you did with Miss Fury.
1: I don't know if I could ever find enough deathless deer. When I have found it, when I have found the pages, I have bought them.
2: So you're going to hoard them all and keep them from us. That's not fair. We need to see some (laughs) of (laughs) those.
1: Maybe I'll let you find one.
2: Okay, there we go. We'll have have to arm wrestle for them, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, as we get into the comic book era in, in the 1930s, uh, as I read through uh, some of your other books and, and certainly in your uh, great women uh, superheroes, that there were just tons of, of talented women working in the medium at that point that you know we're mostly unaware of. We've spoken before about Tarpe Mills and Miss Fury, but uh, let's just chat about a couple of others. Lily Renee, for instance, who you wrote a uh, comic ah, biography of. One
1: of my favorites, yeah. Well, what happened, of course, during the war is what happened in every other industry, which is the guys went off to fight the war, and so there were, you know, great big holes to be filled, and the women filled the holes, you know, in in every industry. In the factories, they were driving trucks and buses and building planes, and comics was no different. So the comic book companies started hiring women. Now, the comic book company that hired the most women during the war was Fiction House, Mm. and they just happened to be my favorite Golden Age publisher, because they specialized. um, Every one of their books had at least one female hero. They were like anthology books, um, and usually more than one female hero. I mean, they really had a lot of... Beautiful, strong, beautiful women, you know, and so maybe they were a little cheap and showed a little leg, but, you know, that's okay. Skirts were yeah. short in those days anyway.
2: Sure, especially um, in, on space girl women. You
1: reporters yep. and, and, and jungle girls and um, counter-spies. One of them, counter-spies, of course, was Senorita Rio, sure. drawn by Lily Rene. And her story, Lily's story, is almost like a comic book because she was a refugee she had escaped she had been a jewish teenager um living in vienna in 1938 when the nazis came in and she escaped a year later via her transport. um transport means children's transport and it was this wonderful thing that england did it's like for me it's a shining gold star in their history they saw what was happening with the Jews, you know, when, when the Nazis took over a country, they would immediately start persecuting the Jews. So they actually, this was before they went to war with Germany, they made an agreement that they would take Jewish children under the age of 17, as long as these kids could find a sponsor. And that's how Lily Renee got to England and to safety.
2: Uh, every, everyone who's interested in that story definitely should pick up your Lily Renee Escape Artist, which is just a gorgeous, gorgeous book. It's a great slice I'm of comic
0: too
2: Oh, it's sitting here with me right now. Steve is just perusing it.
0: Yeah, this uh, this looks pretty. This looks pretty incredible. Um, I'm gonna have to borrow this. Sure,
2: uh, yeah, guys Trina, thanks you too.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, is huh. this is all taken from like actual history? And, mm-hmm. and, and wow. Yes,
2: this is Lily's story. Yeah. Now she was she did um, she was the only female artist to do covers though at Fiction House, right? If I yes, she correctly. was.
1: They had about four women drawing for them. Maybe five, but she was the only one who did covers.
2: I love Fran Hopper's work. I just saw some of it in the, the new Diva, Divas, Fran Dames, Hopper's and work. Daredevils, where the, there's a Mist of the Moon story in there from Fiction House, which is just amazing. I, I, I didn't know. I'd seen those covers all over through the years and how gorgeous they all are, and to know that there were women doing those now who were not signing their work or were signing aliases.
1: Oh no, all their work is signed. Fran Hopper's comics are all signed. Uh, Lily Renee's comics are all signed. Okay, great. Uh, Ruth Atkinson. Said, uh, they didn't know always necessarily. Lily Renee usually, usually signed her work L Renee, uh. and Ruth Atkinson signed her work R Atkinson. <laughs> um, as a result, of course, Lily would get fan mail from Mister L Renee.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now, Ruth Atkinson also worked over at, at Timely, and created well. She did. Then the one character that the guys here will know. Uh, Hellcat, whose real identity is Patsy Walker, was created by Ruth Patsy Atkinson. Walker. Oh, I love yeah. Hellcat. Nice. Yeah, but that goes all the way back to, what, 43, four, somewhere back then? Uh,
1: 45. 45. She drew the first year of Patsy Walker for Timely.
2: Wow, that's cool. Now, uh, Steve, was when going through your book, came upon uh, polling Lott's Miss America, who's actually, absolutely one of my favorites, and Sir... A little bit yeah. forgotten at this point. There, she had a very fascinating other career besides at Fleischer, right? Yes, she did. She was an animator
1: at Fleischer.
2: Which and a voice actress. Oh, seriously? Yeah, was it Mister Bug Goes to Town? She's one of the one of the various bugs flying around. That's so neat.
1: Uh, no kidding, I didn't know yeah. that.
2: Yeah, she actually has an IMDb listing for you know right, assorted you assorted bug something. or something. <laughs> they, I have to be here for some reason, Trina, besides just blathering <laughs> on. Um, we also have uh, uh, Violet or Valerie Barclay, who Stan uh, highlighted Barclay. in his book.
1: She, her, she, her original name was Violet Barclay, but she changed it to Valerie because she thought Violet was too girly. <laughs> and she was really good. In the beginning, as you probably know, if you've ever seen a copy of Stan Lee's Secrets Behind the Comics... and. Um, no one knows what it must be worth, but I have a copy, Ooh. and I had had it signed by my family too, and I will never give it up. Um, anyway, she's listed, she's written about in there as Violet Barkley, glamorous girl inker. I just love that.
2: She definitely was. As all these women were. The pictures you have in the book showcasing these these absolutely fabulous creators just shows... nobody knew what was going on behind the scenes in in very many cases. Particularly, we we can't leave this sort of segment here without talking about Tarpe Mills and Miss Fury because the new collection is out with another great essay of you. Yes,
1: it is. I call it the prequel (laughs) to the other one that came out um,
2: earlier, two years ago, I think. So we're now on that strip. We're complete through post-war, I guess, to forty-seven. 48, with the two Um, volumes?
1: Yeah, the first one started in, uh, the the first one that came out was 44 through 49. And I I chose that period because I thought she was at her best. This was when she was at her best. But of course, then everybody wanted to know what came before. So we did the 1941 through 43, I guess, or through part of 44. And you can see her improving. It's very interesting. The early ones, I mean, the storytelling is great. Uh, but the art uh, is, is not, it got much better. It's not terrible, it just isn't as good. Mm-hmm. I think that there's nothing like having a regular deadline and having to to draw a strip regularly to, you know, improve your art really quick.
2: Sure, and it certainly did. But as you say, the story was fabulous all the way through. It was just a matter of finding her rhythm with it. And yeah. that... The only ones I had had before were the black and white reprints, which didn't do it justice at all. Yeah.
1: Those are actually taken from, from the timely proofs. You know, what happened was, and this was comparatively common in those days, that the comic book companies would take a strip and and cut it and paste it to form into comic book form and reprint it. And that's what Timely did with the Miss Furies. But if you read those and you compare them with the Sundays, you can see how much better the Sundays are. Sure. I mean, they even did a little bit of, of censoring. Because, as you know, Miss Fury was very, um, for those days especially, uh, quite, uh, what would be the word I want? Sexy.
2: Yes, risque, perhaps.
1: <laughs> risque is the word I want. There Thank you, you. No,
2: no problem. Steve, you wanted to jump in? That was my word. Oh, okay. Sorry. Stole my <laughs> word. I stole that. Uh, now, we just covered sort of the, the golden age in about a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, going past that, in the post war era, there was definitely a regression in the amount of female yes. creators. Uh, matter of fact, your uh, chapter is called Back to the Kitchen. So, what were the forces at yes. work that changed the industry over?
1: Well, it was really the same in every industry comics and, and the factories and, and the women riding uh, uh, driving the trucks and buses and making the airplanes, uh, the war was over and the guys wanted their jobs back. And they got them. They got them back and the women were uh, either either simply let go in the big industries or in the case of comics where they were all freelancing, they simply weren't given work anymore. And all women, all women across the country were encouraged to quit their jobs, go home, you know, take care of the house and have babies. And if you read, it's not, it's no coincidence that the first romance comics, the Simon and Kirby romance comics, came out post-war in the late 40s. Because if you read all those romance comics, they have one message. And all through the 50s, and that message is, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, if you're a woman, you're only going to find true happiness if you meet the right man and marry him and settle down and have kids. Ouch.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and sadly, as even moving forward into the '50s and '60s, uh, you you had Marie Severin at EC and Marvel, yeah. and Ramona Fraden doing Aquaman over at DC, and basically yeah. it. I think there's a statistic. I that believe it's me, it. Brooke. No. Yeah. By
1: the sixties, there were exactly two women, Marie and Ramona, and they never even met. They didn't meet until years later.
2: Wow. Uh, just caught up with Ramona at the New York Comic Con, and she is still a an amazing woman. Did, did a lovely Isn't pencil she sketch.
1: Wonderful! Oh my oh. God. Yeah.
2: Still has it together too. Did a great sketch of Wonder Woman for me. That's it's just pencil and it's 3D. It's just incredible what it, what she's oh, wow. still in there doing. Now, but in even the strips, it wasn't much better because. There, by 51, there was one strip featuring a female lead, a adventure strip featuring a female lead that was actually drawn by a Brenda woman. Brenda Starr. Brenda Starr by Dale Messick. Tell us about yes. Dale, who is certainly a major Gee, portion of this on. Dale
1: was amazing. You know, now this is, there's this myth that people believe which is that all these women had to change their names, had to give themselves male names in order to be published. And that isn't true. But where the myth comes from is Dale Messick. It's a story she liked to tell. Uh, She was born Dahlia Messick, and her strips were not selling. And she was a beauty. She was an absolute babe. And she says that the editors would reject her strip but then invite her to lunch. Um, And so she changed her name to Dale, which was a sexually ambiguous name. Unfortunately, this story is not true. It's a great story, but it's not true. (laughs) I have, and in the book you'll find, uh, her unpublished strips, the ones that did not sell, and they're great, by the way. They're just as great as, as the early Brenda Starr. And you'll see that only the very, very first strip she did, which I date to about 1926, which would oh. mean it was right after she got out of high school, um, only that one is signed Dalia Messick. All of the others are signed Dale Messick, and they will reject it anyway. Um, and in fact, the last one, read the Star, which, you know, she says she had to change her name to Dale Messick to. to um, sell it, but actually, at first, it was rejected. The publisher, who was an absolute sexist and also happens to have been a racist, he was a terrible person, his excuse was they had tried a woman once, and she had not worked out. <sighs> <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> yeah, I'm so, so excited that I'm coughing. I need another <laughs> sip of tea. There you go. Mm there. That's good. And anyway, so obviously he knew she was a woman. It didn't matter that she had changed her name. She could have changed it to Bruce Messick, and he (laughs) would have rejected it because he knew she was a woman.
2: Now, she stayed with that strip until 1980? 79. 79. I
1: think 79.
2: And then followed by Ramona Fraden, correct?
1: Yes. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Now, in that in that sort of period you spearheaded the idea of female collective anthologies much the way womanthology comes came out today and even did for marvel's girl comics in 2010 a lovely venus story with stephanie Busema. when you started that was there much resistance from the male portion of the industry that oh you, you gals don't know what's going you on mean, or? you mean it
1: ain't me babe the first all-woman yep. comic book yep. and then women's comics mm-hmm. um no there was no objection um Really, yeah, I think the guys would have preferred it if no women at all were drawing comics in those days, but there was no objection to those comics um, they were very successful, and um, what what is so great is I would get letters from guys saying, "My girlfriend really doesn't like any other comics, but she loves your books, and that was so great,
2: absolutely we uh we have a lot of listeners who have gotten into comics just recently through female creators where they don't understand that they're, they're, comics are not only the superheroes, which is at one point I guess that glut in the 60s and 70s would start to change the industry, right? Um, you mean You mean all superhero
1: books?
2: Right, the the, the big yes. two went to nothing but yes. superheroes, which oh, helped yeah, well, to ghettoize that before. part of the industry.
1: Um, and it didn't help. What did not help was direct sales. You know, at the point when you could only get your comic books from a comic book store, because comic book stores were run by fans, male fans, and frequented by male fans. You know, anywhere from adolescent boys through thirty, I guess, and they were superhero fans. And they didn't care about comics by women. And all through, in fact, you know, in the 80s, there was this brief attempt to revive girls' comics, of which, you know, my Meet Misty and California Girls were two of them, and Barbara Slate's um, Angel Love and then her Sweet 16, and and uh, uh, Barb Rausch doing uh, Vicki Valentine for um, Eclipse of Comics. I think it was Eclipse. I think
2: so, yes. oh, no,
1: it was No, it was
2: Pacific, Um, maybe? Renegade. Yes. But uh, anyway,
1: they didn't sell because the comic book stores simply under-ordered them if they ordered them at all. And, you know, they'd order like two, and they'd sell out, and they'd go, phew, got rid of those, (laughs) and they wouldn't reorder. It was very frustrating.
2: Yeah, until you can break through that that barrier at, at the store level, there's no way around that. Absolutely.
1: Well, what has broken through the barrier is graphic novels. Because bookstores sell them. Bookstores, libraries carry them. So, you know, nobody can ever say anymore that girls don't read comics. Girls will read comics when they're the comics they want to read. And those are the graphic novels by men and women. Sure. And, of course, manga.
0: Um, that was actually, that's I was, she kind of answered my question already, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. <laughs> Um, with knowing all the history of women breaking into comics and the struggles that they've had and everything, how do you, like, what do you think about the idea that girls reading comics is on the rise and that the, the percentages are much higher these days and that comics are being like opened up to more audiences? Does that make you happy?
1: Of course it makes me happy. I mean, can you imagine when I say no, I hate it. No, oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful, and as I say, you know, they used to, the, the guy editors and publishers used to say all the time, well, no, we won't print something for girls because girls don't read comics. And of course I knew that was nonsense. Mm-hmm. And and all the rise in all these great manga and graphic novels that girls are reading proves it, proves that when there are comics girls want to read, they'll read comics.
0: Absolutely. And more, more and more guys are, are more interested in female characters as well. Captain Marvel and Sonya. Oh, a sure. whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Red Sonia, You know, they're being mm-hmm. ter- turned on to pretty much everyone. It's a good time for comics. <laughs> oh,
1: and of course, Gail Simone is writing Red Sonya yeah.
0: now, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And she is fantastic. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, it does seem there is a lot of progress on this front, even though you know, the relaunch of the New 52, there was a whole to-do over the fact that it dropped from 12% yeah. to 1% female creators seemingly overnight. Mm-hmm. What do you think yeah. this, it, we get so many now new indie books which seems to be a new avenue and certainly web comics which you highlight in your last couple of chapters here who are these new crop of creators is someone we should be looking at that we may have overlooked already I think you should
1: be looking at them all they're so good something really amazing happens at the San Diego Con last year, you know, they give out the Eisners every year at the convention. And the Eisners are the, they're they're really the Oscars of the comic world. And usually, you know, I'm used to it. I'm used to the Eisners going to, you know, the mainstream comics, um, or if there's any kind of major book that isn't mainstream, you know, it'll be going to Neil Gaiman, who I'm sure has a closet full of Eisners. You know, <laughs> this new One tosses it into the closet on the pile. Um, <laughs> this year, there were ten women, including me, up on that stage getting Eisners. Wow. And one of those Eisners, and most of the Eisners were for graphic novels, if not all for graphic novels. Um, one of the Eisners was even for a self-published book. That was Colleen Cooper.
2: Oh, which one was that? So uh, um,
1: what is it called? Bandita, band. band...
2: Oh. oh, Bandette. Yep.
1: Ah. Yeah. Bandette. Thank yeah. you. Yes.
2: Hmm. I'll we'll have to look into it. Oh, it was one. really.
1: It was. I've never seen so many women up on that stage getting Eisner's. It was wonderful.
2: So the the wheel is turning. Finally, do we think?
1: Oh yes, heavens, yes.
2: Now, what what is your? thought about marvel launching uh, coming february march a whole slate of new super heroines with female creators involved on a ton of these have you seen some of the new
1: you know that sounds really exciting i don't know anything about it but you just got me really interested
2: You know, there's a new Ms. Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, who's a Muslim teenager from Jersey City, New Jersey, who's actually... Oh,
1: yeah, I do know about that one. Jersey great, City represents... You know? I'm yeah. so happy to see no broke-back poses, you know, <laughs> right. and, and no song bikinis.
2: It's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> and it, from what I've been reading, she is the first legacy character branching off from another female character. Hmm. There have been Batgirls huh. and Supergirls or whatever, but this is a character who's... Love for being a superhero comes from another female superhero. Yes, it's such
0: a good setup. Yeah, I can't, I can't it's wait just to read great. That. Yeah,
2: um, while we have you here, we I missed asking a question the last time <laughs> when you were on for our Wonder Woman roundtable. What is your opinion so far? We haven't really seen anything but a couple of pages and a ton of interviews about Grant Morrison and his take on Wonder Woman moving forward for the new year.
1: Well, the art is gorgeous. I've only seen really the only art they ever show is this one picture. But it's a beautiful picture, and I love the way the artist uh, draws the women in their their little Greek togas. It's -hmm. really nice. Um, And of course, I don't know anything about the book either, except what Grant Morrison says. So, um, that kind of bothers me a little. He's really stressing the sex, isn't he? And Mm -hmm. the bondage, he's really stressing the bondage. this is what guys do. For some reason, guys love. When they talk about Wonder Woman, they just love to talk about bondage. You know, that's, it's, like, it's like all kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Ha, huh? see? There's bondage in here. Ha, you silly women. You thought you liked this book, but you're wrong. There's bondage in it. You know, that's kind of their attitude. And, and there is so much more in Wonder Woman. And I can tell you that I read Wonder Woman as a girl. I didn't see any bondage, except mm. I saw that she would get chained up so that she could save herself. Yes. She would break her chains, break her own chains. She didn't need a guy to rescue her. In all the other Golden Age comics, Silver Age comics, the women are, are chained up or or... Bound up somehow, so that the hero, because they're usually just the girlfriend, you know, mm-hmm. and then the hero comes and rescues them, but not Wonder Woman. In fact, if if anything, she also rescues her dumb blonde boyfriend, Steve Trevor, yeah, every who's time. Always getting in trouble and always needs her to rescue him.
2: Yeah, it was certainly the turnaround from the old movie serials, Perils of Pauline, and certainly. Every issue of Captain Marvel or Marvel Family Adventures had the Marvel family always gagged, because otherwise they'd say Shazam and turn into oh, Captain Stanley. Mary Jr., whatever. Panel after they have panel. to
1: find some way to get rid of the gag so they could say Shazam and break the ropes and, and get the bad guy.
2: And no one remembers that at all, except us, I guess. So there we go. Right. We, put, we put it out there. <laughs> now, you have another new project. You're doing some more Honey West issues, right?
1: I'm not doing any in the in the near future. I've done some, and I would love to do more. Newsstand, um, I love, I love them. I mean, I love my editors. They're really good people, but they're very slow, and I can't even remember if part two of um, of my Las Vegas story is out yet. Is it? Do you remember?
2: I don't think it is yet. The first one came out. No. and I thought the trade was oh, coming out. They
1: took don't they?
2: Yeah, it's but Moonstone, because it, right?
1: Part 2 comes out, everyone has forgotten Part 1.
2: <laughs> well, they have to buy another copy. Put True. them side by side. Yeah, they'll have lost it in the boxes somewhere and have to buy a second copy. Now, I don't know. I haven't seen a copy of this yet, but they've just put out a book that collects some odd collaboration between Dennis Kitchen and Stan Lee... Trying to do underground comics in the early 70s and something oh, of yours the is in there? Books. Yes. How did yeah, that that's come about?
1: Who, who's publishing that? I think Dark Horse?
2: I think so. Uh, yeah. Yes. I'm in that. Yes. What did you do for that issue?
1: Um, I did a whole bunch of Panthea stories. Oh. Panthea was, was the first character I created it back in the 60s. She's part lion and part woman. And I thought, I thought, gee, if I could be anything, I'd like to be part lion. And of course, also, <laughs> there's a great echo of all the jungle girl comics that I love so much. Sure. But she, if she's a lion. She has to live in the jungle.
2: Well, you wouldn't want her in a big city. It's bad things could happen. You know, terrible, terrible stuff. <laughs> we can't have that. Now, uh, Steve, you were going <laughs> to <No, I'm> good. <laughs> no, okay. What I do want to ask you, speaking of that period, you are Credited with co creating Vampirella in some quarters? Oh, how how sorry. true is this story?
1: People always bring this up and it's so to me it's extremely unimportant. Okay. All I didn't create Vampirella, all I did was design her costume. I was um, I was sitting at Jim Warren's desk uh, with examples of my work and I was not ready. I mean I was not ready for prime time yet and he very mm-hmm. gently let me down, but has always been. Okay. Very nice to me and always been my friend. Um, When he received a phone call from Frank Frazetta, and it was about the cover for Vampirella, and it's just that he simply didn't quite get the costume right. He didn't quite get what Jim Warren had in mind when he explained the costume. So while they were talking, I just grabbed a piece of scrap paper and sketched out her costume and showed it to Jim. And Jim looked at it and he said to Frank, just a minute, there's a young lady here who knows exactly what I mean. he put me on the phone, and I described it to Frank. And that's it. That's all. That's
2: pretty impressive, nonetheless, (laughs) don't you think? Giving Frank Rosetta instructions and designing...
1: Oh, it was wonderful. I've never met him in... It's too late now, of course, but I never met him in person. And the only time I spoke with him was then.
2: A friend of a friend of mine worked for him at his museum in Pennsylvania. And through through my friend, heard this amazing story that he had had a stroke and taught himself, he was right-handed, lost the use of his right hand and taught himself to draw like Frank Frazetta with his left hand. Wow! And wow. Th- 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 you apparently couldn't tell the difference pre-stroke, post-stroke. And oh.
1: I would not be surprised. He was incredible.
2: Known mostly, I guess, for Conan covers, but there was just a lot more of all the science fiction stuff that he did all through those oh, so years. Oh,
1: he did some beautiful covers for uh, for Jim Warren's magazine.
2: Oh, the creep is the in yours. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I do want to ask, while we're at it, since we did go down the Wonder Woman road just a little bit, what is your opinion of this Wonder Woman-Superman thing that's going on right now? They have a, a romantic entanglement you know, happening.
1: It's not very interesting to me, really. I mean, I don't see much happening. It's like they kind of take turns, okay, I'll beat the, the monster, <laughs> um, and then Superman says, okay, now I'll beat the monster. And it's like, it's it's not interesting. It kind of reminds me of the 1960s um, Fantastic Four, where they each one of them would take a turn using their powers to fight the bad guy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it does seem like a bit of tag team wrestling. The... Writing on the book yes. seems pretty good, but yeah, the action sequences hasn't sorted itself out yet. Mm-hmm. Where are we at time-wise here, Chief? We're, we... We're at
0: thirty minutes, but you, you ask more questions if okay. you want. It's totally fine.
2: Sure. Great. Uh, yeah. What I'd really love to know of all these women you characterize as the, the pioneers, and they certainly are. Which one story did you not know yourself? Which one was a surprise for you?
1: Well, of course, until I met Lily Renee, I had had no idea that she was a refugee who had fled the Nazis. And That was amazing, and of course, that's what inspired me to write the graphic novel, uh, because, you know, her story was like a comic. And who else, who else was I surprised to find out? Well, in this in this book, I have um, the first, and so far, as far as I know, the only Native American woman cartoonist, Eva Mirabal. Um, who drew, she drew a strip for the WAC newspaper and it's it's very funny it's called G.I. Gertie, it's very well drawn, it's very funny um, also of course it's kind of fun because she started it out as Private Eva Mirabal and then she became Corporal Mira, Eva Mirabal and by the time she was mustered out she was Sergeant Eva Mirabal so we even get to see her promotions <laughs>
2: She she actually was in the Women's Army Corps at that at that point. Yes, That's what it yeah. Was well, was a Well, some of our listeners may not know the acronym, <laughs> so I want to make sure. Th- Women's Auxiliary? Is
1: it Women's something Army Before, Corps? Women's, yeah. What does it What does the other A stand for?
2: I some of thought it was Women's Army Corps, but you say Auxiliary, and it starts to sound brighter than because what I was. Were there were
0: two yeah. A's. There were two A's. It's probably Auxiliary Army Corps. Right, yep. Yeah. So we're both right and <laughs> wrong at
2: the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. now one one person's art I didn't know until seeing this, uh, is Katie Carew, Angel Child, which reminds me so much of Windsor McKay. And it's just oh, absolutely Carole, gorgeous. Isn't she great? Yeah.
1: I love her. She had really... she did, Well, she was also a fine artist. But, I mean, she did that strip, Angel Child, which is, is hilarious. I mean the the little girl is just so absolutely terrible and so funny looking too. Um but she also did caricatures. She was very famous as a caricaturist and as a journalist and she would interview famous people. I mean really famous people like Pablo Picasso and Mark Twain and, and the um um oh God. Um famous people. I know there were others. Um uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and she would, she would draw them. She would interview them and draw them, and she had this great way of drawing herself as this, this round-eyed, just constantly surprised little creature. And in real life, she led a very bohemian life. She was married several times and traveled through, um, through Europe and, and settled down in Carmel at the time. Carmel, California, which was an artist colony at the time.
2: Long before Clint Eastwood was mayor, yeah. (laughs)
1: Definitely.
2: Yep. Uh, Another person who I didn't know until reading your book is from the 1937 Adventure Comics, Monastery of the Blue God, Cecilia Paddock Munson. Oh, wow, Cecilia
1: Paddock. Cecilia Paddock Munson. Um, I know nothing else about her except that she drew this one comic. And it's gorgeously drawn. I, I would love to find out. If anybody's listening and you know anything about her, for God's sakes, contact me. <laughs> I mean, some of these people, you know, I, I see their strips and they're great, but I don't know anything about them.
2: And if you don't, how are the rest of us going to? You need to write another book. Oh, yeah. You heard it here first. Well,
1: someone out there is Cecilia Paddock Munson's grandchild you know, who is now, of course, a grown woman. And she will get in contact with me and tell her, tell me all about her grandma, Cecilia, or her great-aunt, Cecilia.
2: Let's hope for that. Let's hope for that. Trina, what, uh, what are you working on right now? We're always interested. Is there something new coming from your pen? I'm
1: actually between books, but I am, I am about to start my memoirs. Um, oh. And that will be for, uh, for Kitchen Sink. In his
2: kitchen. When can we expect to see that?
1: Oh, you're going to have to give me more than a year. Okay. I mean, I'm writing about many, many years, right?
2: (laughs) Sure. Very interesting years. Your your career basically encompasses all of comics history from the Silver Age up. Oh,
1: more than that. I mean, it, it really starts with science fiction and goes on to rock and roll and, and goes on to the Lower East Side in New York in the 60s and, and my boutique and finally comes to San Francisco and comics.
2: I want to read that now. I want I want the TV movie. Who should play you in the TV movie?
1: Oh, golly. It encompasses so many years that we have to start with a kid <laughs> and maybe go on to Goldie Horn at the end. Okay.
2: I, I see, I absolutely see that. That would be, that would be wonderful.
1: We'll,
2: we'll definitely. We'll I always,
1: always felt that if anybody played me in the movies, it should be
2: Goldie Horn. <laughs> we're going we're, we're gonna to put her picture up on her website, yeah, too. Awesome. We're going to put before and after. <laughs> and yeah, 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 I'm
0: going to put a <laughs> compar- comparison picture.
2: We think that will definitely, definitely work. Yeah. Any, any chance of seeing any more Go Girl? She is one of my absolute favorites. Oh,
0: you
1: know, I would love it. If if we could find a publisher who would like to publish it, I mean, people really loved Go Girl, but it, she was just a tiny bit before her time, meaning a tiny bit before, you know, there was there was general interest in in comics for girls. Um, our fans loved Go Girl. I mean, we we just had just the greatest conversations with fans and the greatest emails with fans, um, but the problem of, of as always was distribution because the comic book stores were just just totally superhero oriented still at that point. Mm-hmm. It was before the great breakthrough of, of graphic novels. Yeah, I and have we been... really loved doing it and I loved working with Anne. She's so good.
2: Oh it's a charming, charming book. Great messages without it being preachy. And she mm-hmm. f- she found her way onto my top fifty superheroines list. Mm-hmm. She just made that much impact. So oh, Oh, uh I only did it because it, it deserved it. The f- funny thing is, because of the weird distribution, I have it three issues in three different sizes: one digest, one comic, <laughs> one sort of tra- square-bound trade. It's what went on here exactly? And
1: oh, there was one that they decided to put out in in manga form. Yes, thinking that it might sell better because manga was selling. And I think the other two weren't they the same size? Are they really different sizes? I
2: have three different sizes. Maybe (laughs) one just got to be a reprint or something, but uh, doesn't matter. I'd love it to be a new trade paperback or a collection. It was Image then, right?
1: Yes, it was. Give them a holler. I like the girl. I like my own character. I do. I have to like my own characters, or I can't write them. Um, I like the fact that really her only talent, her only real talent, was that she could fly. And everything else she had to learn. She had to take boxing lessons, you know, with mm-hmm. her, her superheroine mother. And I liked that, too, of course, that, you know, that they were a superheroine mother and daughter team, really.
2: And they, they were not adversarial. It was not one of those, oh, angsty sort of things. She was a teenage girl. She had her own opinions, but it was very loving between them.
1: Oh, yeah, they got along just fine. But, yeah, she was and she was kind of... A little naive, too, because she was only, what was it, 15? Mm-hmm. You know, and 15-year-olds are a little naive. And she tended to think the best of people, even even when it turned out that they were terrible.
2: <laughs> there were those folks in her world. Trina, we're sort of running up on our time here, and I don't want to keep you forever, though we certainly could. Uh, let me just tell everyone again, the book is Pretty in Ink, North American Women Cartoonist, 1896-2013. It is... For some reason, on Amazon today or tomorrow, though it's been in comic stores, depending on which one you shopped in over the last couple of weeks. They do
0: that sometimes. They release them to comic shops first, and then afterwards they'll release them on the main retailers.
2: It is just a gorgeous book. Go ahead. for those who happen to
1: live in San Francisco, on December 19th, I'm going to be doing a presentation and signing on Pretty In Ink at the Cartoon Art Museum which, if you've never visited it, you really should. It's a fabulous museum. Uh, That's December nineteenth at six o'clock, and you don't have to buy a book. Come in to see my
0: presentation. <laughs> oh, and uh, for those listeners, uh, th- uh, think you know we talked about the book. You can't sit here and look at it. It's a beautiful book, and it goes back from those far reaches back to what we talked about before, all the way up to you know Kate Beaton and Hark of Vagrant yes. who is is covered in the book. So
1: who I also love. <laughs> we, also love we decided to call it North American uh, Women cartoonist rather than. Than United States, so that we could include Kate
0: Beaton, who is Canadian. Very nice, <laughs> yeah. very nice. Um, th- that that comic is brought up many, many Just times here. Uh, yeah. on on our show. So I think our listeners would be very interested in, in hearing more about that and, and seeing how she fits in the context of all these amazing women. So people should definitely check it out. Yes, yeah,
2: gorgeous book. Put her on your Christmas list. Maybe mm-hmm. if you've been nice, Santa will <laughs> drop one down your chimney. I
0: Have
2: my autographed copy. <laughs> there awesome. you go. <laughs> um,
0: all right, uh, Trina, Robbins, thank you so much for joining us once again uh, on Talking Comics.
1: Well, it was great, and I'm so glad that this time, you see, I remembered, and I had my <laughs> tea ready and everything and waited for you to call.
2: Oh, it was spectacular. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much.
1: <laughs> thank you.
2: Bye, Trina. Bye bye, Trina. Good night.
0: Bye-bye.
1: Okay, bye. Bye-bye.
2: <laughs>